Happy 4th of July, everyone. This show, why is an SEC coach running, off, running his mouth about Ole Miss football and Lane Kiffin? Tell me about John Wayne Oliver and what type of player he is, and we continue our schedule breakdowns with the Tulane Green Wave. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. You are locked on Ole Miss. Your daily podcast on the Ole Miss Rebels. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Thanks for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Hello, I'm Stephen Willis. Happy 4th of July. This is the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. Now, when magazine season hits, which it does every year like clockwork, and we look forward to it, these, these magazines pop up all over the place, and we read them, and we consume all kinds of information about those teams. Well, one of the things that Athlon is doing is getting anonymous SEC coaches to talk out about somebody else in the conference. Obviously, they're not named because they want that gossip factor to do. And it works out just because of that gossip factor. But one of the things, SEC coach takes a shot at Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Now, the question is, which SEC coach are we talking about here? If it's Nick Saban, I'm going to be willing to listen to what he says. If it's Kirby Smart, I'm going to be able to listen to what he said. But if it's Billy Napier, if it's Sam Pittman, if it's um, Zach Arnett, if it's Hugh Freeze, if it's Josh Heupel, shut up. You don't know what the heck you're talking about. And this is the write-up of what they said about Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Athletic Program. This is a one-sided football team that will have to create turnovers on defense to stay in games against top-level teams, the anonymous coach told Athlon Sports. The coach said that the Rebels lean too much on their offense instead of balancing team, the team with an improved defense. New defensive coordinator Pete Golding is going to create a good defense eventually, but not this year. He's going to learn there's no balance with Lane. He, it's not like Tuscaloosa. You're going to be stressed to keep up with short scoring drives and quick changes of possession. There's some truth to the anonymous coach's claims, particularly that Ole Miss's offense has been better than his defense since Kiffin arrived in 2020. A, I can see where you would see that. But because of Ole Miss having a top 10 offense the last three years, that is not at the detriment and the one-sidedness. That's not an example of that. The defense was changed over from DJ Durkin when it was terrible. It was notoriously bad in 2020. It was awful. I think Alabama um, played a full game where they scored, got like seven or eight yards below the maximum amount, amount of yards that they could have during that game. The defense was awful under DJ Durkin. And because of that, Ole Miss decided to revamp their defense. So they decided to do this fad, this John Haycock, Iowa State thing, and run that. And the defense did get marginally better. And the whole purpose of that defense was to catch the other team and do bend but don't break and let a college quarterback do college quarterback things 
to where you can get possessions. And Ole Miss went to a sugar bowl that year. You know, you see how it's kind of tough to discount exactly what they do with coaching and balance and things like that. After that year, DJ Durkin went to Texas A&M, and Ole Miss decided to be have some continuity and hire Chris Partridge for the full-time job. His first time as a full-time defensive coordinator. This is not a shot on Lane Kiffin because, like I said, the year before they had just went to the Sugar Bowl. They hire Chris Partridge. It doesn't work out. He gets one year, and he essentially gets let go. He's told to find gainful other employment. And Ole Miss goes out and gets Pete Golding, who has had a top 10 defense the last three years and a top, at least a top 20 defense in all of his years at Alabama. Now, when I tell you all of that, does that strike you as a coach that is not interested in balance? Does that strike you as a coach that is only interested in one side of the ball? Somebody tinkering that much on that side of the ball, does that give you that impression? Because it doesn't give me. What I think is happening here is sour grapes because Lane Kiffin has trolled probably four or five coaches in this, inside the Southeastern Conference to where he's probably made some enemies. If the coach interviewed was Jimbo Fisher, yes, Jimbo Fisher would absolutely say that. Jimbo Fisher hasn't beat Lane Kiffin, but Jimbo Fisher would absolutely say that. Billy Napier would absolutely say that. There's some weird thing going on with Florida and Lane Kiffin right now. It's absolutely b bizarre. Auburn would say that about Lane Kiffin. Missouri, for some reason, would say that about Lane Kiffin. Not necessarily true, but they would say it. And the other thing that I'd like to talk about is that this, this could be a generational look at how football is viewed. And people that are time of possession hawks and things like that. It, to me, time of possession is the most useful statistic in, in football. It is kind of like a possession rate in soccer. It, it just doesn't matter. Because, for example, Tennessee beat Kentucky two years ago and had 14 minutes of time of possession. Everything in that time of possession said that Kentucky should have boat raced that game. But they didn't. Why? Because... Time of possession is not a true indicator of how the game is going in modern college football. Now, I understand balance and wanting to have a balanced team. And Lane Kiffin is absolutely trying to have a balanced team. He's doing the things necessary to create a balanced team. The hiring of Pete Golding after getting rid of Chris Partridge is not an indicator of not trying to have a balanced team and just kind of willy-nilly doing it. Now, what Lane Kiffin does do is take points whenever they're available. There's no sense in having a 10-play drive when a 2-play drive will do. But this is a team that runs the football a lot. So whenever they need to, they can do a tempo and really stress out the defense on the other side of the field as well. It's just not all based on that number. It's not all about protecting the defense. Because that was a big question whenever Lane Kiffin went over to Alabama, Nick Saban was protecting that defense. There was a situation where they were genuinely worried about scoring too quickly because all of a sudden your defense, which was giving eight, up eight points a game, all of a sudden is giving up 13 points a game because the offense is scoring so quickly. If you look after Lane Kiffin left and when Steve Sarkeesian was there and Tua was doing stuff, 
there was a year, I think, when Mac Jones was the quarterback that Alabama was in the top 25 in total score defense scoring, scoring defense. And that is just because the offense was the most prolific in SEC history. And if you want a defense that is dominant, if you want the 2011 Alabama Crimson Tide defense, you can't have an offense like that. You have to throttle down your offense to protect your defense. So by balance, what he's meaning is he doesn't want the offense to be that effective in order to make the defense look better. But the reality of the situation is if you win a game 31 to 17, it's just as good as winning it 17 to 7. You still are winning by multiple scores. It just doesn't look good on the stat line of the defensive statistics. It's it's pretty interesting whenever I think about what's going on in college football, because this advent of tempo and spread offenses and things like that, they've really put the defenses, you know, in harm's way. And people that were real defensive hawks now are having to come to terms with the fact that defenses just aren't as good as they were. Georgia had a generational defense two years ago. And that defense, I think, was still 10 points a game, something like that. Something that, 10 years ago, would have been good enough for like fifth in the country. But the defense was considered generational and what they were built on. Now, granted, Georgia's offense actually protected the defense. They they still do the protect the defense thing. The other side of what Lane Kiffin does on the offensive side of the ball is what Georgia does on the defensive side of the ball. It just is. It's the way it works. It's college football. It happens. There's different styles. But... If a coach, if Nick Saban or Kirby Smart is saying this about Lane Kiffin, I might be able to believe it. I definitely would believe it with Kirby um, because he protects the defense so much. He's like the flip side of the equation. But if it's like Jimbo or Eliot Drinkwitz or Sam Pittman or somebody like that, I, I don't care. You know, I don't think you know what you're talking about. You have to prove that this doesn't work. If he's beating you, it doesn't matter. If they're beating him, yeah, you can talk. But if you're not beating them, shut up even anonymously because it's just a bad look. Anyway, when we come back, we are going to talk about John Wayne Oliver, who just committed to the Ole Miss Rebels a couple weeks back. Um, we're going to do a little film breakdown on him. But first, I do want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook. And it's time to take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount and bonus met bets up to $200. That's right. Just 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Can't beat that. That's $200 you can spend betting on everything from money line to under over to who do you think is going to hit the first home run. All of that on an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. Now, I do realize Mississippi is a brick-and-mortar casino state, so if you want to gamble on sports, you actually have to go to a building. But if you go to Louisiana, like we're doing a preview today of the Tulane Green Wave, Ole Miss is playing in New Orleans. You can use the FanDuel Sportsbook there. If you're going up to Memphis, if you're going to Jackson, Tennessee, if you're Nashville, Gatlinburg, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana, Delta, Louisiana, you can use the FanDuel Sports app. And there's no better place to bet on the MLB than FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. So sign up today 
and receive up to $200 in bonus bets if you bet $20. That's pretty good. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, this is a really interesting situation. Thank you very, again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Every dayers, um, a little bit late in the afternoon. If technology does not bite us because we have not recorded this yet, we're going to try and get John Wayne Oliver, the player that we're going to talk about in this segment on this show, which should be pretty, I'm pretty fired up because this player, I, Brian Smith, has watched this player and broke him down. He couldn't do a video on it but he didn't let me know his thoughts on it. And I watched this video and broke it down and some interesting thoughts on it as well. But the main thing you notice with this player is, A, it's a decent level of football. Um, that, that academy league around Nashville um, and in Tennessee is good football. That's Innsworth and CPA and MBA and schools like that, the Baylor School, just over and over and over again. Good players. Now, when you look at John Wayne on film, and he he flashes, he definitely flashes, but one thing you notice is it, he may be pretty decently sized, but he looks like he's kind of undersized. And the one thing that you notice and the one thing that Brian Smith brought up to me is he may be the strongest guy on the field, and he does a lot of his work on his upper body. So whenever he gets developed, whenever John Garrison gets his hands on him and shows him how to be a technician playing football and starting to use his lower body and his core and all of this stuff moving around, this athleticism and strength that is natural to John Wayne Oliver will only get exponentially better. And that, that is a reason I think the ceiling on this kid has a chance to be so high. Um, Brian Smith's exactly word, exact word about this prospect is he's a hoss. And he absolutely is. He's got a mean streak. He's physical. He enjoys playing the game. He's really athletic for a big guy. Like I said, he might be a little bit undersized at this point, but once he hits a training table and a college workout program, that's not going to be a problem anymore. He, but the one issue that you see on his video is that he may be too upper body dependent. And like I said, John Garrison can fix that. He can fix that. It's all about teaching him to become a techni technician and somebody that played offensive line in Nebraska. He's going to be able to do that. John Garrison's very, very good set as an offensive line coach. I think at NC State he had like two All ACC players last year, and the year before he had a player drafted eighth in their draft. He knows what he's doing on the offensive line, and he has a familiarity with this system. And that is very important as well because it is a little bit different. There's a little bit of deception that's involved in this offense. There's a whole lot of run blocking. And offensive linemen need to be able to understand that it's easier to get off a run block than it is a pass block. And if it's an RPO and the quarterback holds the ball too long, you can get they can get home. So you have to be very cognizant of hitting your landmarks, essentially. If you're supposed to go to the outside shoulder of the defender, you need to get there because if you get too far one way or the other, it's going to be easier for them to shed you. And two and a half seconds in pass protection for an RPO becomes two seconds or less than that. So it's an interesting, pretty pretty simple thing 
um, to think of, but it, it can be very, very effective. I, I think I saw CPA. I've been to one of two, one or two of their games. This is before John Wayne um, was playing there, um, but I did go cover them one time. I think they were playing NBA in Jackson's when I was working at WSMV in Nashville. I got to see their setup. The one thing I remember from that game, this is off subject a little bit, just a long walk to um, the football field from where you had to park. That's something I do remember. Um, But between rivals and there, I've I've pretty much been to all the Nashville area high schools, and that's something, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud of that fact. They play some good football up there. They genuinely do. But – that's what I say with John Wayne. I think he is the fifth or sixth best player in Ole Miss's football signing class, um, according to On3. Like I said, he's a little bit undersized, but that'll get taken care of. And he's a little bit too upper body dependent at this moment. That'll get taken care of as well. So I do think that John Wayne is going to take a red shirt in his first year. But I'm I'm an old school guy, okay? I'm an old school guy. And... When it comes to offensive linemen, I believe most all of them need a red shirt. It's rare that a Laramie Tunsil appears. And you take that red shirt, you get bigger, faster, stronger. You get that mental aspect to your game. You become a little bit of a technician. You hit the field as a red shirt freshman. You're, you're ready to compete at that point. But most offensive linemen, I do think, need a red shirt as well. I don't know if they're going to red shirt him. That's just my opinion on this subject. But this is a good football player that Ole Miss has committed. I'll be interested to see how his senior year goes. He had 780 snaps or something like that. And in those 780 snaps, he did not give up a sack. He's got great feet, great athleticism. It's just, like I said, there's there's two issues that need to be worked on, and they actually have the ability to work on them and get them the way they need to be. Put on the weight, that'll be the training table, the off-season program. All of that stuff will be absolutely perfect for him. The other thing is to become a technician and learn how to use your whole body playing the offensive line position. If you do that, the sky is the limit for this kid. This kid has all the athletic ability in the world. He reminds me a little bit, honestly, of Royce Newman. Honestly, a little bit as well, Nick Broker, if we're talking about that. Two players that have played all the positions on the offensive line, but kind of settled at guard, and they're going to play a little while in the league. We'll see exactly what happens. I I do like John Wayne Oliver as a player. All right, when we come back, we are going to continue our W's and L's season preview of the Ole Miss football schedule. Today's topic, the Tulane Green Wave. Anyway, stick around. Thank you for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast, including YouTube. Subscribe there. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, or more likely, Ole Miss every day, right? All right. Hi, I'm Stephen Willis of the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. We are continuing our season preview with the Tulane Green Wave today. And Tulane... They have some stuff to be really excited about what's going on with their program. They're, they're, they are, they went to an access bowl last year, beat the USC Trojans, and that has them in New Orleans really excited. And they're not used to a lot of success in football. 
to have a lot of his success in football. The last time before last year that they had huge success was like 1998 or something like that. And I'm excited for him. I, I'm, a, I'm a Tulane fan when it comes to Louisiana schools. I love the Angry Wave. It's one of my favorite mascots in college football. I like the Green Waves. So, whenever I talk about this game, this game is going to be very important. There's some certain things that Tulane needs to get going to continue the success that they've had. There are certain things that Ole Miss needs to be wary about. And we'll talk about where Ole Miss sits on the schedule and what ESPN FBI thinks about. Now, the main thing that they say for Tulane is to get that pass rush going. The defense has a strong starting 11, but third down stops weren't always there. And the secondary was so good, but it could be even nastier. Obviously, last year's bunch did something right, but life could be a wee bit easier. It just might take a little bit more pressure to make that happen. So apparently, they're, they're trying to deal with a third and long type situation. Tulane didn't come up with a sack and registered um, four tackles for loss in the first meeting with UCF, a 38-31 loss. Um, that was John Rice Plumley, I think. In the AAC Championship, they had six sacks, nine tackles for loss. The D got behind the line in the loss to Southern Mississippi, but did not come up with any sacks either in that defeat either. Um, seven times the defense came up with multiple sacks. Six of them were double-digit wins. To go crazy with this, since 2014, Tulane is 12-0 when coming up with five sacks or more. No joke. It, the SEC deals with this all the time. The SEC is a line of scrimmage league. We understand this. Now, the one thing you need to understand about the Tulane Green Wave is Ty J. Spears has gone pro. He is the best pro, pro prospect that the Tulane Green Wave have produced since probably Matt Forte. Okay? Really good prospect. But you also need to realize their backup running back, Cameron Carroll, has gone to the Florida Gators. The Green Waves needed safety help right away and got it from a few terrific transfers. Pettisclaw should be the most impactful, especially against the run. Fifth year veteran made 197 tackles over the last four seasons with three sacks, 17 for loss, and 16 passes broken up. He'll be a stat sheet filler. Ty J. Spears was able to take on most of the rushing workload last year, but it would have been a whole lot easier if Cam Cameron Carroll was around too. The tough back who ran for over six yards a pop and 12 touchdowns in 2020 and was good in the rotation in 2021, got hurt right out of the gate last season, was done for the year. With Spears gone, it would have been nice to have had Carroll around. Instead, he'll be a good part of Billy Napier's running back rotation. That's important. Because Ty J. Spears, a generational player at Tulane, he is gone. Carroll was the guy that would step up to do that. So now we, we have questions about that um, backfield. Now they do have Michael Pratt. They do have some weapons. And this is one of the most well-coached teams that Ole Miss will face. And we'll talk about that in just a second. All right, their key game is the Ole Miss game. Let's not assume the Green Wave will rip through the AEC without breathing hard, but if they're really that good, they should be the favorite in every game this season but one. Ole Miss is the moment. Last year, the win over Kansas State turned out to be a really big deal, and this year it's when Lane Kiffin's bunch comes to town. Win this, 
and then the talk of something really special happens, like what happens if Tulane goes through the year unbeaten, can start up, lose, and that's it for the college football playoff, but you can still reach the um, access bowl, New Year's Six. Now, this is a very th key thing. This is the first time Ole Miss fans will have gone to Yulman Stadium. It's a 30,000-seater outside in New Orleans, which means it's going to be about 170 degrees. They're probably going to run out of water in the second quarter. Do not drink and tailgating because you will get dehydrated and it will burn straight through you. But also, this game will be their Super Bowl. They're already talking about that. They're already talking about how this can be the, the difference maker in their season. The, they're talking playoff and New Year's Six and stuff that I, I just don't know if it's there. Like I said, Michael Pratt's a good quarterback, but I, I know they're going to come jazzed up and I know they're going to come ready to play just like they did against USC. So it's going to be imperative for Ole Miss to play clean that day. You're going to hear me talk that week about Ole Miss needing to play clean. No penalties, no turnovers, no things like that on Ole Miss will be absolutely fine. This is a game that Ole Miss should win. That's the other thing about this. Now, this is an absolute trap-type game where something bad can happen. I do not expect something bad to happen. Now, if you look at Tulane's schedule, they do open with South Alabama at home. Then they get Ole Miss, and then they go to Southern Miss. Now, if you look at some fun stats... You see that opponents um, were penalized 74 times for 609 last year. Tulane 56 for 48. That's about five penalties a game. Again, well-coached football team. First quarter scoring, Tulane 113. Opponents 37. Again, well-coached football team. And punt return average 9.9 for Tulane. Opponents average 1.1. Well-coached football team. Willie Fritz does a fantastic job down in New Orleans. And it's honestly... It's good for me to see Tulane going through this. They, they deserve to have a high-level football team at Tulane because in my whole life, they were essentially Vanderbilt New Orleans. Um, the SPN FPI has a 72% chance that Ole Miss wins this game to a 27% chance that they lose it as well. And you, depending on which thing you see, Ole Miss and Tulane might be right next to each other in preseason rankings as people are going. Now, I do think Ty J. Spears was the difference maker. I think he was an unbelievable special player. I do like Michael Pratt. I do not think Michael Pratt is Bryce Young or somebody like that. He probably makes some plays. He ran the ball pretty well and went over 100 yards against USC. But he was like 9 of 19 throwing the football against that secondary that Utah just absolutely carved up before that. So that is something to keep an eye on as well. If this game gets pear-shaped, it probably is Ole Miss running away with the game. I think if Ole Miss were to drop this game, it's a messy, sloppy game. In the middle of September, Ole Miss has three or four or five turnovers. Um, Tulane capitalizes Wednesday, 27-24 to 24 type football game. That's what I think happens if Ole Miss loses. But if Ole Miss wins, and when Ole Miss wins on this situation, because I do think Ole Miss is going to win this football game. I do think Ole Miss is going to do the things that they need to do to pick up a win at Tulane. 
and they'll start off the season 2-0. and When we come back tomorrow, we will talk the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and the long-awaited trip to Oxford, Mississippi for Georgia Tech. We'll even talk about that a little bit. We did a video last summer about the Ole Miss-Georgia Tech game and how this game that week is going to be the fulfillment of a fight and the reconciliation of a fight that has been 60, 70 years in the making. It's absolutely bizarre. Anyway, thanks again for making the Locked On Ole Miss podcast your first listen every day. Um, We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, Everydayers. We're going to try and get John Wayne Oliver. We're going to continue our schedule previews. We're working towards SEC Media Days. I do want to thank you all for tuning in. You all do a fantastic job, um, and this is just a ton of fun as well. But until tomorrow, everybody have a happy 4th of July. Be careful shooting fireworks. And with your beer and swimming and all of that stuff where bad stuff can happen, be careful doing that. We'll see you tomorrow. Hotty toddy.